Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hillside is less than a month away, and in case you forgot to buy your tickets, don't worry. Single-day tickets are still available for Friday, July 25th and Sunday, July 27th. Come be part of an engaging weekend of music, art, community, and celebration featuring artists such as Tegan and Sarah, Fortet, Baja Bulat, Hey Rosetta, various spoken word performers, children's music, neighborhood organizations, craft and food vendors, workshops, and much, much more. Tickets are available online at www.ticketbreak.ca and also at retailers across southern Ontario such as The Bookshelf and The Beat Goes On here in Guelph, Soundscapes in Toronto, and Encore Records in Kitchener. Hillside is a physically accessible event. Get your tickets before they are gone as you do not want to miss out on this year's Hillside experience. Creative Control with Vish First things first, Tommy Ramone passed away. Tommy Ramone, the only surviving original member of the Ramones. He played drums. Um, his work meant a lot to me. The Ramones mean a lot to me. I've been listening to them a lot recently, even ahead of this news. Um, I, I've been really loving having all their records in the car and spending a lot of time with them. So I'm, I'm sad, and I just want to say uh, to all my fellow Ramones fans who have been listening to all their work lately, you know, I, I'm, I'm here with you. It's, it's been tough. So that's what I want to say off the top of the show. But otherwise... It's a good show. Um, and I have a drummer on the show, Jeremy Guerra. Jeremy Guerra plays in Arcade Fire. And he and my other guest, Samir Khan, also used to play in a band together from Ottawa called Kepler. And their album, Attic Salt, was recently reissued by an obscure label from Germany. So I thought it would be a good, good time to get both Samir and Jeremy on the horn to talk about this. So uh, here it is, myself, Jeremy, and Samir talking about Kepler and a whole bunch of other stuff too. You're going to hear a song from Attic Salt and I'm not going to, you know, toot my own horn, but there eh, might be a Kepler reunion in the works. We'll see. Here you go. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Chef, Bell, not business as usual, Prusmimo Benchik, Words and Pictures, 
the immigrant, and more. On Thursday, July 24th, the Medicine Hat, Shopkeeper, and Milk and Honey play the e-bar. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Khan and Jeremy Gara are accomplished musicians who once played together in an Ottawa-based band called Kepler. For a good chunk of their time together, they were associated with a kind of slow-building atmospheric music that made them a nice fit to open for Godspeed You Black Emperor, for example. Their final album felt like a real departure to fans who heard its pop-oriented singer-songwriter leanings when it was first released in 2006. The album is Attic Salt, and it was just reissued by a German boutique record label called Oscarson. Here now to discuss this further are Samir Khan and Jeremy Gara. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hi. Great. Hey, man. Where in the world are you both? I'm in an exotic uh, community uh, known as Roncesvalles Village, which is part of a larger metropolitan area known as Toronto. Um, I appreciate that detail. I I wanted all of it. That's great to know. This is your new house? This is a portion of the new apartment that I rent. Nice. Yeah, yeah you yeah. used to be a homeowner, right? I did. I did. I got out of that racket. That's too bad. I liked, I liked your house. Is it was your pretty window nice. being propped open by a tambourine right now? Yeah, we're, we're on Skype. <laughs> no, oh, I have a tambourine. No, there's like a the ledge. Okay, okay, no, okay. I just have a little keyboard here, a was, decorative I keyboard. Was, I thought it was pinching the window open. Yeah. Samir has, just so people who don't know, Samir has very little regard for percussion, like accoutrement. <laughs> He's just like, the tambourine but, but, is only good for wedging open the window. But I figure when doing audio, like podcasts that are going to be in audio, that it's important when I'm doing the Skype call that I have all the, like, as if I were an actual musician, like I have like a keyboard <laughs> and a tambourine. Yeah, it, it looks great. It's a yeah. nice, And you've got it framed just so. Yeah, I feel yeah. like Jem Cohen is directing this <laughs> Skype call. But you just can't get over the fact that even in a podcast, the tambourine is an overdub. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll add that later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Jerry, where are you? Uh, I'm in London, England, in right in the thick of it in Soho, and there's some serious activity outside the window. What are you in a hotel? I'm in a hotel. Yeah, it's you, midnight. You got like a what are those beds called with the posts? I think it's called a four post bed. I don't know. I've never owned one. <laughs> <laughs> it looks very comfortable. Uh, and it's what, very what, comfortable. You're uh, you're you you. What, did you just play a show or something? No, we're playing. Uh, we we are playing tomorrow. Is the last show of our tour in Hyde Park in London, and so I'll be home uh, on Friday. This is your band, the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones, correct, yeah. We just opened for the Monty Python show at the O2 Arena tonight. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> Monty Python was at the O2 tonight, yeah. Half my band went. Jesus Christ. Did you I not, know. Did you not know that? They did that tour. They, they did the reunion thing. 
Yeah, there's like 10 shows at the O2 or something. I skipped it just to do this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I, just, I feel terrible. You, you are a fool. <laughs> I mean, you've made lots of other great decisions, but that, that was a foolish But this reason. is not one of them. <laughs> I, really, I really wish Samir had ended that last sentence with nudge, nudge, wink, wink. He did. You didn't see it? Oh, no, oh, I didn't see yeah. it. Yo. <laughs> well, we should uh, talk about Kepler, even though I'd rather talk about Monty Python playing the O2 Arena, as Samir clearly would too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, why is this record out again, gentlemen? What's going on? I mean, you want a real answer? I'm so bad at interviews. It depends how deep you go, but I feel like records now are so... It's almost like... Um, they're almost like commissioned, you know what I mean? Like you hear stories of rich people commissioning even like successful selling indie rock bands to like make a new record because why not? Like what's the difference between a rich dude and a record label or whatever? Huh. And I feel like in the same way that album never got it's due and there's like a small amount of people like if you're talking if records are only going to sell a hundred copies what's the difference between selling a new record for a hundred copies and a record that's 12 years old for a hundred copies like if people are going to like it if a hundred people are going to buy it then why not i don't know no that's it's it's a great record and a lot of people never heard it and there's a small community that are interested in making it heard and so why not it's great. I think that's actually a really interesting, vaguely abstract answer. Like you kind of you came at it as a big picture cultural. Well, it's because I've been thinking about the big picture, like, like, because I've you hear, like, I just keep I'm I think about um, albums coming out now almost in the classical music sense. In that, like, do you really have to create a physical copy of an album anymore? Like CDs are done, really. Vinyl sells really well, but it's super expensive to make, so you need money to produce it. And then I keep hearing these stories like behind the scenes of people only releasing a thing after a person that has some money or some a group of people with money are like, oh, I want you to produce this thing. And then you create something because there's the want for it. And it's, I'm like, that's kind of like it was in the fucking 1800s. Like, Patronage. Yeah, you're like a patron of the arts. It's like is, but it, I, it, this is a one way to think about it, obviously. But I just happen to be, have been thinking about it that way the last couple of days. I, I have this kind of down as something I did want to talk about on a on a on a big picture scale. Samir, I suppose we should maybe get specific and, and practical about <laughs> Attic Salt. Um, how? Why is this record back uh, from? As I say, it's been what it's been eight years since it first came out. Yeah, I guess almost. And uh, if you can count when it was done, it's like probably almost 10 years uh, from when it was sort of done, done. There was I, a, I, there was a I, de delay from production or completion to actual release, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think Jeremy's uh, uh, abstract cultural theory critique is, 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 is apt. Like I, I, there's this guy in Germany, uh, Matthias Reeling, who runs you know, a very small label. And he's printed up a bunch of copies of this record. He emailed me out of the blue um, saying, I'd love to put this, put something out by you guys. And uh, 
I have not questioned his motives or the underlying economics of it because, you know, I didn't want to dissuade him. Uh, at the same time, it's weird. Like, he seems to have more kind of economically and personally invested in, in putting this out. <laughs> kind of, I do at this point. But, you know, why do people decide to do these things? You know, like, bless them for, for caring. I mean, really, I, it, like, we were a pretty tiny band. I mean, I, I appreciate Jeremy saying that there's, like, a small community of people who liked us, and I think that that's true, but it is pretty fucking small, and it does not justify any of the economics behind it. Hmm. But somebody's doing it, so great, you know? And he'll probably break even. Like, that's the that's the thing. Like, if if you're, you know, yeah. like a thing enough, and you, I don't know, it's just interesting. It's like... Clearly this, clearly this guy would know he's putting out a record by a very tiny band that does not exist anymore. So no offense, you called yourselves tiny or small or whatever you called it yourself. <laughs> but yeah, he must have known like he's not necessarily going to get a return on his investment, but he's doing this out of some love. I guess so, yeah. And uh, the other thing is like we're pretty small t- we I mean in we are pretty much one of those like forgotten bands but someone reminded me of this recently that at the time that we were existing we were like you know a relatively successful Canadian yeah. tiny indie rock band it's just that like everything all just kind of changed you know partially yeah. you know our conception of things changed because just like some bands just got really fucking big like 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 Jeremy's band you know like I mean it's 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 just a very different world than it was back then. Yeah, the Rolling Stones are a big band. They, you know, they have they have really sold a lot of records. Yeah, they're in a lot of movies. The Rolling Stones. They have pers- I play one drum beat. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is Wynn listening to this? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not is a good answer. Is anybody listening to my podcast? You know what, Vish? You're like the Kepler of podcasts. You're a highly respected, very impressive. If you look at the roster of things that you, like people that you've interviewed and at the time, like it's really quite yeah, impressive. And they're interesting interviews. How to monetize it yet. No, I can't monetize the thing. That's just it. Yeah. You're absolutely oh. right. It's so frustrating. I need a benefactor in Germany. You know, I looked at like your reviews on iTunes today. I was just like, oh, there's people commented on, and they're all like, podcast smart reviews on iTunes. Yeah, and they're podcast reviews of Isha's podcast, and they're all like, smart guy, great guests. Hope this continues. Yeah, there's like four things. It's fine. I'm not. I'm fine <laughs> doing this. It's doing okay. It's not doing terribly. No, no. People, not at all. people seem happy to be on the show. So what do you want from me? I'm just doing my thing here. Now, you're also kind of like Kepler in that you're weirdly antagonistic about Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, vaguely. I'm kind of defensive about my my standing. <laughs> in this regard, it's too bad that, you know, we didn't have John so we could get full-on <laughs> half-baked antagonist. Yeah, Man, I, that guy. I call, <laughs> you know who has this? And I used to think it was an Ottawa thing. Michael Fierstack. Mm, Michael mm. Fierstack has like an oddly, he's got humility but antagonism at the same time. Yeah, and he doesn't suffer fools, and he will rise to his own defense if he feels like he's been, he's been wronged. Well, not even wrong, just commented upon. Yeah, if someone has an opinion, Michael <laughs> Fierstack will call you, call them on their opinion, no matter even if he agrees. Yeah, he will start to argue with them. That's what I found yeah. in my time knowing Mike. Yeah. So I don't know. Is that an Ottawa thing? 
You know, it's funny. We were, I was just hanging out with uh, some people that Mike plays in a band with. There's like a particular group of people, and Jeremy knows this group pretty well. Uh, Tim Kingsbury, who also plays in the Arcade Fire with Jeremy, will know this group. Um, you know, Mike Fierstack, Julian Bayard, who also played in the Wooden Stars, which is a band that we are both a fan of. Um, this guy, Mike Dubay, who still plays in a band called the Hylotrons. A couple of other of our friends who aren't in bands, but who are accomplished in their own right. Like Stephen Evans is a very accomplished illustrator. Um, and there's like a particular sensibility that I think existed in, in, in Ottawa at the time, which was very, very specific, really high functioning, very intelligent, suffering fools, not very gladly. Um, but I thought you were going to end at suffering fools. I was like, really? No, 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 no suffering of fools, but you know, very specific about their 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 sensibility and what what they liked and what they didn't like and I was just hanging out with some of those guys over this sort of weird cottage weekend and I was just like transported to I think the way we were living like maybe ten or fifteen years ago in Ottawa with yeah. all these like high functioning really talented <clears throat> somewhat strange people <laughs> well there was uh, a there was this reputation for people outside of Ottawa about Ottawa's music scene that did seem to have a chip on its shoulder maybe it did seem to have a sense of like why aren't we why don't we're not in the industry so to speak so that must be why we're making this amazing music because like the bands i'm thinking of at the time like some of the great bands that were around around the time of kepler were what uh clark yeah yellow jacket avenger some of these are still going um hylotrons would have been not quite then yet right or no. Sort of. Yeah, no, they'd started. Around yeah. then, yeah. There was the Wooden Stars. I mean... Snail House. Yeah, amazing. Just, like, amazing, amazing stuff. And I don't know, did you guys feel, like, as part of that community, did you feel like you were getting the recognition that it that you would have deserved? I don't know. Maybe there was a chip on the shoulder, but it's like, what recognition is there in Ottawa? You know what I mean? Like... I, I don't think even Ottawa cares. <laughs> yeah. Like, what... Yeah. The, it's certain like... Even if we, at our most, like, you know, 3 a.m. at the bar complaining about the world, even in that moment, the next day if we had band practice or we had a recording session or whatever, like, it never came up. Like, it, it actually didn't, that didn't infiltrate the reason for being in a band and making music together or anything like that. Like, we would have made those records... I don't think the records would have been any different if we were on like a really good record label or anything like that. Like I I don't know if that's naive, but I really do think that way. Like I think the the thing that we were involved in existed a bit outside of that and then the the business bigger picture conversations about all that stuff is maybe a little bit separate and we I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. I have no idea. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's like it was a social group, and I think you know, Jeremy and I were like kind of maybe uh, initially kind of a little bit on the outside of this sort of stuff, and and we really liked a lot of these bands, in particular like the Wooden Stars and Snail House. Like, you know, we really admired these bands, and and I think part of you know they accepted us socially, and then you know I think Jeremy and I in various bands that we played in kind of earned our cred with those guys by trying to become better at music as opposed yeah. to, you know, like just playing in kind of like schleppy indie rock bands. But it also um, like, I would argue that this with a, a different but similar amount of influence where bands like Shopmaker and Okara and like, sure, yeah. 
like these bands that were not bands to sell records, but that were like so creatively influential. It couldn't. It's like that was as important in making music as. I don't know. I don't know. There was so many. No, I think you're right. I mean, I would be would have been more involved in that post punk or punk community that you're talking about, and we certainly had so much respect for Shotmaker and Okara and those kinds of bands. And uh, and and I, you know, from afar, had great respect for the Wooden Stars, your band, uh, the bands I had heard. It just all sounded great, but. I don't know. When I would speak to Ottawa musicians, there was this sense that they might have been smarter than us and and perhaps a little more jaded. But what do you mean by us? Like, where were you living at the time? I was living in, like, Guelph, southern, like southern Ontario. Kind yeah, of. And, but all those Guelph bands are the first ones that we knew to have, like, record deals with, like, Rough Trade and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like That's true. So you, were, you true. were angry at Guelph, Ottawa. No, there was no anger, but it was just, it was... You know, it was just a thing that was happening, and and it was interesting. But like I said, it didn't affect the music that we were making. Like, it wouldn't have changed any of the songs that were written or anything like that. But it was certainly, like, it made you question the business decisions you make. And, like, by business decisions, I mean, like, the one show that you're going to open. Like, am I, are we going to go to Toronto to open for such and such a band? Are we going to go to North by Northeast this year? Hmm. Uh, like it's not big decisions, but like I don't know. There, the, I, it, it was just a weird thing. It was a weird time in because nothing ever happens in Ottawa. Right. <laughs> like, right. I mean, even playing Ottawa was weird. Like people wouldn't. And I, I mean, I would. We would go there with like a fairly established person, like Jim Guthrie, and it just it still wasn't. There wasn't like an enthusiastic packed room. And I get the impression from you guys that that was pretty normal. Yeah, you know what? Like, to be in all honesty, we didn't have enthusiasm. Like, Weights and Measures, which is another band that we played in, I think had a little bit more enthusiasm going for us. But, you know, Kepler probably didn't play that many great shows in Ottawa until the last one when we broke up and people realized that we yeah, were, like, kind of totally not playing. True. That's totally true. Yeah, and um, I want to revisit this because I, I think we'll circle back around to... Jeremy's Are we con- just complaining about Ottawa? I no, love Ottawa. No, Ottawa is okay. great. I like Ottawa uh, too. You know what? And I will also say in Ottawa's defense, uh, like, not that I give a shit or believe in scenes, but that social group probably punched above its weight. Yeah, for a while. Right. Yes. I will say that. Yeah. Well, as I say, I want to circle back around to appreciation because uh, I think Jeremy already touched upon it in his discussion of reissues and why records are coming back from oblivion, so to speak. Um, but I want to kind of ask you two about yourselves. Where did you two actually meet? I remember this exactly. Um, and then I will let Samir tell <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy might not remember. I think at that point, like, Kepler was, was a band at one point. And I think maybe, or no, 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 it was before Kepler had actually played his Wayne. first show. But we, no, I don't think I met you then, but I remember there was like... But I wrote you. Did you? A fucking fan letter. You don't remember Good that? Lord. I knew this no, was I gonna, don't remember I knew this, this was going to get ugly. On. I thought John wrote me. I know John wrote me a fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You did. So I wrote you a fan letter. I oh, saw Samir's old post-punk band, Cluane, play, and I wrote him... I don't even know. It might have been a free net right. email yeah. or something. Yeah. It was just like, I saw your band, it was really beautiful, it was amazing, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote me back, and that was it. So then later on, when we actually met, 
I was like, well, I, yeah, I think technically that's what Vish was asking is when did you meet in brackets in person? So yeah, yeah probably you're me. right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do remember that it was like on the patio of organized sound, which was like a great record store in Ottawa that had just opened, I think around that time. And we knew a bunch of people. I had actually seen Jeremy play in a couple of bands that he was playing in at the time. Uh, I think Hitchhiked was one. And I think you were playing drums. And you were clearly like a guy that I would like thought was a pretty fucking great drummer for a band, you know, that's like one of the scrappy Ottawa indie rock bands or whatever. So I think someone said that they knew you and we made like a mutual introduction. But I distinctly remember that we kind of got along very early on. Yeah. Um, but it took a little while for us to actually start playing music with each other because I think we both assumed that each other would was busy with our own projects or something. Um, but well, for yeah. me, I was like, you had bands that played at clubs, and I had played at probably the Pit like twice or something. And so yeah. I was just, but I remember going to see Kepler a bunch of times, and that I don't know how the that the bridge was the gap was bridged, but like eventually I played keyboards for you guys, like sitting on the floor somehow. I think you asked to join. First you used to travel with us, and then one day you're like, hey, I can play instruments too. I can play that <laughs> I can play that melodic part. Yeah. That's so cool that you started out totally as a fan. Uh, what were Kepler like when you were seeing them at that time, Jeremy? I mean, Kepler had a seven-inch out that was really awesome, and they were great. They were like one of my favorite bands, and... Yeah, I don't know. You guys were just playing shows around town, and I would be wherever. And then I think that we, at the time, it was sort of like Ottawa, Almont, Toronto, Montreal. That was like the, you know, the cube, the square. And then, uh, so I, yeah, I guess I hopped in. I probably played with you guys first at the God at the um, the Constellation Records Loft. The Constellation Loft, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Old Montreal. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh wow, that's cool. And what were they? What were they actually like at that time? Who the Ke- Kessler- Ke- no 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 Kepler? I mean, it was kind of it. It didn't change drastically or anything. It was just you know, it was a great it was band. A, it was about half the speed and about a third of the volume. It was maybe Kepler more it was maybe more purposefully careful or something. I don't know. No, nope, that's true. Are you now lying down in your four post bed? Well, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> no, no, nothing. No, no, lie down. Get comfortable. I just wanted to point... I don't know why I pointed that out. I'm just being a jerk. No, I'm no, I'm, no, I'm forward. No, come on. Relax. No, no, this is a much more active position. My brain is working better this way. <laughs> so, okay, so you two met. Uh, that's very interesting. I had no idea that's how you met. What... Um, I kind of want to ask you both about your musical histories. Samir is actually podcast alumni. Um, and I believe it. Yeah, he's been on the show. How many times have you been on the show, Samir? Just the once? You mean your podcast show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was on one of your breakfast shows. I don't think I've been on Creative Control as it's been currently conceived. Oh, no, no, you're right. With Jim. Yes. Sorry, yeah. The, the Washington, D.C. road trip podcast. Yeah, shit. That was a good one. Yeah. I thought. No. Yeah, no, no, it was fun. I like, your, I like that you're bringing up old shows I used to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway, you you were a guest on the show, and at the time... I never delved into this with you, but I'm actually just curious about what got each of you into music for the first time, uh, like from your earliest memory. Like, what was it about music that first grabbed you? Wow. 
That's a pretty heavy duty question. I, you know, uh, I always, I think all kids like music, but there's a distinction between just liking music and being a fan of music and deciding that you want to play music. And I think deciding that you want to play music requires this kind of, especially when we don't really know how, that it requires this like weird, absurd belief in the self that you can figure something out. And that's sort of the spirit in which I started playing music. Like I thought, I can play music. What's the quickest way I can do it? Well, the bass seems like it's pretty easy. It's four strings. And then uh, I just kind of worked up from there. Um, was there a particular trigger, though? Were there, was, did you hear something that you were like, what is that? I... The, the first band that I listened to that I thought, okay, you know what? I can seriously consider playing music because I can do this is, is Sonic Youth, which is crazy considering how hard, <laughs> how hard their music is to play. <laughs> I love it. Even from a bass playing perspective. It's like Kim Gordon's a, a kind of a weirdo genius, you know? But I thought, yeah, it sounds really simple. It's not, it's not something crazy to do. So the first music I learned, I learned how to play goo on bass. Hmm. The whole album? Yeah. Wow. I probably still can. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was sort of my mindset around it. And it, it was very much like I, I liked the kind of... Uh, I like the spirit of that band in terms of just doing things differently, but somehow making something new. Like I do think that they were kind of like the last, like really original rock and roll band that I can think of. Yeah, no, I can um, I can see that. Yeah, but anyway, that was my thing. And so, you, what were you thirteen, fourteen? Uh, later, probably more like sixteen, seventeen. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, same question. Uh, I mean, probably the same age, like sixteen, seventeen, and I had a pair of drumsticks before I had even touched a drum kit, but I kind of knew, like I knew where everything was in a, like an air drum at home and kind of know like the hi-hat is over here and the kick drum is my foot and all this kind of stuff. And then I, I joined the minute that somebody asked me to join a band, I said, yes. And they were like, sweet. Do you have drums? I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) but it was fine. And so I joined like, pop punk kind of cover bands in high school that played no effects and green day and stuff like that. Not that those were the bands that I was super excited about. Like I saw the cure when I was 12 and that was kind of it after that. Wow. But wow. what band of 16 year old sounds like the cure. That's pretty, yeah. That, that's pretty sort of problematic. And have you, have you, have you subsequently run into the cure? Have you seen the cure since uh, you were that age? I've seen The Cure probably every tour since that age, but I've never run into them on a personal level. I could have run into them on a personal level just last time they played Oceaga in Montreal, which is a big music festival there. And I had I had a pass to the festival. I could have gone backstage, and my hair, which you can't see because this is a podcast, <laughs> was twice the length that it is now, and it was really wild. And I didn't go backstage the whole day because I was worried that Robert Smith might be there and that he would look at me and see in my look that I was trying to look like him because I was a huge fan. And I don't have this dream. And so I didn't go there. Okay. I never want to meet him ever. Because nice. I do have hair like him because I think he's the best. <laughs> yeah, no, you clearly are a big fan. You're clearly a big fan. Yeah, you uh, can see it in my whole thing. So uh, my understanding, Samir, is that you were you raised in the prairies? Yeah, I'm from Winnipeg. You're actually from Winnipeg. Jared, where are you from? I'm from Ottawa. Okay, you're from Ottawa. So yeah. I guess, Samir, how did you end up in Ottawa? 
Uh, I went there for journalism school. Uh, I heard that uh, Carlton had a good journalism school, and I thought, you know, if I wanted to leave Winnipeg, then when what better time to leave than to go to journalism school in Ottawa? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, it, you know, it's, it's hard to describe, especially at that time. I think we live in this time when everything's accessible. So like all sorts of niche cultures are acceptable because you're accessing on the internet or whatever. But I distinctly remember the, you know, the first week that I moved to Ottawa, I, like Fugazi and Shudder to Think played a show. Yeah. And I was a big Fugazi fan at the time. And I had no idea anything about Shudder to Think and just going to that and, you know, these are bands that just didn't come to places like Winnipeg, huh. even though Winnipeg's a big city. Um, and so, yeah, just my first week in Ottawa, I thought it was some sort of weird cultural mecca. And they had like an acid jazz club, like the pit, you know, where there were acid jazz bands playing and there's all sorts of punk bands playing. And there was this local scene of like weirdo bands like Shotmaker was one. The Wooden Stars were another, you know. It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, we from afar, Ottawa always seemed like it did have a lot going on with spe- Spectrosonic Sound and. <laughs> well, um, there's Five Arlington, and like yeah. there's like a variety of different streams of counterculture, kind of at least musical counterculture going on, which is great. I suppose it kind of makes sense if there's a parallel that that DC, Washington DC, would have. Maybe this is way too much of a stretch, but the idea of two nations capitals, the hotbed of political activity is where a lot of the great kind of countercultural stuff was also going on. I guess, except that, you know, the metaphor doesn't really quite work with Canada or Ottawa. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just sort of threw that skeet up in the air and you shot it down right away. That was amazing. Yeah. 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 No, but I do think it's funny. Anyway, maybe, maybe there's nothing there. Okay. So, you ended up in Ottawa. You immediately thought this was some kind of music mecca. Jerry, you were there the whole time. How would you yeah. how would you describe the Ottawa music community in terms of your first entry into it? Maybe how it how it kind of seemed to be evolving in terms of. I mean, I think you came of age around the rise of the underground in the '90s as well, right? Um. Sorry, and while you're thinking about this, I'm going to go to the bathroom and grab a beer. So you just keep on talking. (laughs) You keep your beer in the bathroom? (laughs) I keep it behind the toilet. Yeah, that's not that is not a fridge. I I told you many times that's not a cooler. It's actually you need to use that. You need to keep it free of beer. No, no, no. Samir loves peeing in cold water. He (laughs) loves it. That's right. Ever since I moved to Ottawa and met Jeremy Guerra, I've loved peeing in cold water. It's strange. (laughs) Right. I'll be back in a second. Thanks for the it's, update there. It soothes him. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I, My first foray literally into any of that stuff was playing in a high school band, like literally at high school at, at lunchtime and at, you know, we put on our own performance in Orleans, the suburb that I lived in. And then eventually we got like our first downtown gig at this place called The Pit that Samir mentioned before. That was the only club I can think of that was doing both bar, like, you know, normal bar nights, but also did the occasional all ages show. Mm -hmm. And so playing there made that place kind of accessible to me because I didn't go downtown that much for no reason. Like, because I lived, you know, a bit outside of the city, like I would meet my new friends in at a coffee shop downtown 
once I started going downtown to see shows at that one venue because it sort of became a comfortable place. Right. So I, you know, I started seeing like at the t- at that time was when um, Sloan was really pop popular amongst our you know our group of friends. My friend Tara, who I played in a band with, was writing a Sloan fanzine, and so we would go see all those East Coast bands that would come through that had any link to Sloan whatsoever. So we saw the Super Friends, we saw Jail, we saw uh, Hardship Post, you know, just anybody. And it kind of just opened up this whole world of like, oh my God, I can go see all these crazy bands. And then at the same time, I started go seeing the Wooden Stars and this band Okara because I went to high school with the bass player and, and that opened my... It just opened all these doors like, holy cow, there's all these crazy bands that play music I've never heard before and I don't understand. And and that's when I saw Samir's band play opening for the Wooden Stars and they kind of like blew my mind open. And and uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It just so, kind of happened at like age 17 or 16 or whatever. Yeah, that sounds like a fairly, uh, that sounds similar to my experience too, where the bigger bands come to town and then you discover... Because, you know, whoever the promoter is hopefully is conscientious enough to put, well, conscientious enough and also savvy enough to put a local opener on. Totally. And then you. Which is, by the way, another thing that doesn't happen anymore. That's totally true. You're totally right. You don't think that that doesn't happen? BTW. Not in the same way as then. Not at all. Huh. There's not as much of a focus on it. No. Well. But that, like, then, and that would be the thing. You'd go to see these local bands. And you would just like, like we literally just met people. Like I, I didn't, I lived on the Eastern suburb in, in the Eastern suburb and I met, you know, Samir and, and a whole community of friends that were in, just started university or lived in the Western suburbs, but you just meet them at these shows because you bump into them like drinking Coke at the bar, you know, like at an all ages show. And it, it's kind of just like open this whole community to you which was super exciting at the time yeah and okay that's interesting maybe that exists now i have no idea i mean i'm so the last time i went to a show that was for anybody less than 20 years old i left because everybody's smoking i was just like and i'm done i can't do it i can't i want to believe it exists it looks like it exists and i can't do it i can't i just can't do it i still think it's a good promoter would know that you know if they're bringing an out-of-town band in that having a local band with some draw makes business sense. I mean, I think that still goes on. It may not be for the same altruistic reasons that it was 15, 20 years ago. Is that what you guys mean? Like, the, that vibe isn't there anymore? or I just don't know. Well, I can see you not knowing, Jared. Samir, is that what you mean? Sorry, Jared, that sounded very... I didn't mean to disparage uh... you. Jared? And we're done. I could crack it. I could crack a couple of jokes, but no. I mean, I, I think. I think like. Uh, I think that. Yeah. Um, first of all, bands that are big are bigger than they used to be. Yeah. Uh, right. And so they come kind of more fully formed with the crowds built in or whatever. And there's less of a kind of like, yeah, you know, we should put like a really cool young band in front of like this like band that draws a lot of people because that will help us down the road build this sort of thing. I think promoters are stuck in a really hard position where they've got to fill bars now mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise they're done. And so, you know, there's no advantage to them getting a local band to come up and play. 
Um, it's just another band to fee- uh, to pay. It's just another band to play. It's just another band to deal with. Many times the touring band doesn't want a local opening band because I don't know, like, you know, back in the day when we were on the other end of the, the sort of, or when I was on the other end of the sort of equation, you know, sometimes you'd make really good friends meeting opening bands. And then sometimes you just have like an opening band that you just really rather stay in the band for. You yeah, know? totally. Right. But everybody micromanages the experience now. And, and, and I think it's like, there's less of us. It might be the fact that we're just getting older and we're just less tolerant of like, you know, new experiences. I think that that's probably a big factor. I'm sure younger people are way more open-minded than we are. But I also think that there's like a weird conservatism that has kind of crept in, which is less about music being a way to meet new and interesting people or people that you kind of are like fighting against the world with, with your taste or your political views or whatever. And I think it's just like a big kind of culture hang and people come with their like Twitter followers and their Facebook followers and they don't need to make new friends. They've already got all the people that they've already got what they need economically out of the system, right? Huh. Okay. That's interesting and cynical and perhaps spot realistic on. though. Yeah, but I think I, it I, might I think be spot on. I don't think it's I don't think it's cynical. It's like it's it's just uh just the way it is. Like cuz there's not there's actually not much of it like I don't think Samir's complaining about it. It just like is, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I no, no. I, I, I didn't suggest it was a complaint. I, I just think, and right, I've been calling this a few times. Somehow, uh, somehow, me, Vish, is the optimist in these conversations, and I'm always, which is odd. I don't think of myself as that optimistic, even though I'm having a second child. I do think that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Buddy, that's pretty optimistic. Yeah, maybe it is. But I, <laughs> I, I often am having these conversations with people about cynicism, and it, it might be, uh, maybe it's the wrong term. I, I, You know, there's like a little bit of a, a weird thing in my mind, and, and, and I don't know when it shifted, but I, I, it's probably a function of age, and it's probably just a function of uh, just a, a, a certain reality, which is there's the thing that, that provides all the energy and psych- excitement for you to go ahead and immerse yourself in making stuff and consuming stuff and learning from stuff. Yeah. And that is pure and beautiful and wonderful. And, and part of my frustration is I crave those experiences. Like I, I've long since reconciled that, you know, like long since meaning like, you know, a long time ago, I, I knew that I wouldn't make a living playing music, but that doesn't mean that I didn't, crave musical experiences all the time that I don't always think about them. But there's a difference between that and what dominates the culture. And when people talk about music, they're not talking about, I find that they're not often talking like, and I'm talking at the small band level. They're not talking about the value of the work that smaller bands make. They're talking more about, you know, people's failures of their business plans. And, you know, I'm very jealous of bands like the arcade fire because no one gives a shit. I I don't, understand how many records they sell that's not as interesting to them or to me as is like you know the fact that there's like a big band that's like reflecting the culture and Mm -hmm. you know introducing new ideas or revisiting ideas that you know are worthy of revisiting i mean to me that's what music is about it's not about whether we're able to monetize you know our business plans or our touring plans or gain more twitter followers i've never been interested in that shit and yet I guess with the anxiety that comes with just kind of the death of the music industry, that's what the conversation is about. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. And and the death of you know, it's not simply the music industry. Jeremy, today here in Ontario, uh, one of Toronto's alt weeklies shuttered, like just shut down the grid, to which was formerly really yeah, just done. This tomorrow is the last last issue. This was formerly I Weekly. Now it's the grid. Now it's gone. And it was backed by the tor- by Torstar, like a big media corporation, right? Yeah, like, Toronto's the Toronto Star owned it. Yeah. Well, and, if it's any consolation, maybe someone will pick up the pieces because in Montreal the same thing happened, and and then Cult Montreal is the new weekly, which is oh, great. Oh, cool. Yeah, but yeah. I but it is it's it yeah it's definitely a sign of the times. Yeah, Weird. we are living in a strange time. Um, Yep. I, I Samir, I want to just revisit a, a quick thing because we've kind of established that Jer was a fan of Kepler and sort of, no offense, Jer, groupied his way into the band. But you started this band, didn't you? Uh, you know, interestingly, I would say probably John George Kishwad, who's not on this interview, who's the guy who cannot be reached because I'm not sure he has an email account, let alone Skype access or anything. Okay. He was the guy who in many ways started the band because he wrote me after the band that Jeremy is referring to, Kluane, had broken up. And he said, are you interested in playing music with me? I'm into these and these and these bands. And I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ, great. Somebody who is into these and these and these bands and wants to make this and this type of music. And it's actually John who started Kepler. Oh, okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you you also, when did you, but but he wrote you, sorry, he started it in that he initiated the conversation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. But eventually, I mean, you wrote a good chunk of the the, the, lyric, yeah, the song eventually, eventually eventually like initially for our first couple of records it was sort of half and half i guess um but at a certain point i don't really know exactly when like i kind of took over more of the management of things and by the time the third record came along i was kind of on a trip about what i wanted us to sound like and and you know i think he he just kind of deferred um, and at that point, like, I think he, he was, he, I think he liked playing, he liked some aspects of playing music, but you know, his heart and soul was elsewhere. Okay. And I think that that's fair to say. I don't think he would dispute that. So I'm not shit talking him. Well, when you, when you reread the kind of critical reception of Attic Salt, it does, almost everyone mentions it as being a bit of a, a change in the band sound, a departure. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? I mean, for us, it seemed like it did because it was it was like more in our ears, like more sophisticated musically. I mean, a big thing, honestly, and this is not blowing smoke up at Jeremy's ass. It was it was nice to have Jeremy playing drums on this stuff. Like, you know, Jeremy's like a drummer from Ottawa, but he knew how to like swing, you know, and I knew this from playing drums, playing as a rhythm section with Jeremy and a whole bunch of other bands. So it just felt more sophisticated to us. But I mean, for an outside observer, it might not have been that radical a difference, but we were very impressed with ourselves at the time. Is Jer, Jer is this the only Kepler record you actually played on? Uh, no, but it's the first one I played drums on, which is a big difference for sure. Oh, you would... He played on you play, he played on all of them except for like the early EPs and seven inches and stuff. Yeah, right. Okay, so you and but you what you mostly played keys and guitar. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so from your perspective as you have an you have I think a quite an interesting perspective. You were in the band a long time, but you came to it as a fan. When you think of Attic Salt in relation to the band's previous output, do you see it 
as or, or rather how do you see it as distinct distinct from the the previous uh, output I mean the funny thing is when I if I look back and I just look at the song like the group of albums as a I just look at them all like I I felt as involved in the other ones as I did on Attic Salt but I think Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss if I actually objectively look back, like naturally, I think just because we were down to three people instead of four on Attic Salt, then you, you know, then I was involved 33 and a third percent rather than 25 percent. Right. And so, um, just was a little bit more engaged with the music and had a little bit more of a strong opinion. And yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I never consider, I'm certainly not a songwriter. Like that's not what I do. I think I'm a decent collaborator at best. And I, I look back at Attic Salt and, and, and kind of take stock of all the things that I've, you know, contributed to that. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I, I was kind of in the rhythm of, of contributing and having an opinion or being supportive is what I think I'm best at is like Samir, you know, most of the songs are Samir songs. There's a couple of John songs, and and I I look back and I think that I was in a really good rhythm, like a really good rhythm of being supportive to all those ideas and and maybe pushing them further when I felt strongly <laughs> about it, or backing off when I didn't feel strongly about it. And it's like because, like Samir said, like it, you just there's so many external circumstances, and we weren't in a band as a living, so this was truly like a evening and weekends kind of pursuit but we were super engaged with it and involved in it and so it did consume a lot of our creative energies but there's you there's a lot to be said for just the rhythm of things and if like Samir's in the rhythm of writing songs you actually stay in that momentum and that's why his Samir had so much output around that time because he was just in this great rhythm of writing songs and maybe John wasn't quite in the same place. Hmm. And so for me, when I look back on that, I just, I realized that I must have been in this great rhythm of just being involved in it, like totally present and having an opinion and, you know, giving whatever energies I had to give to the thing at all. But in the moment, it's, it just felt like normal. It's just like, oh, this is what we do. Like, this is what I do that isn't my day job, which I didn't care about at all. Like, and it's, it's only in retrospect do I realize like, wow, that was really like a great, a great creative time for all of us, I think really. Yeah. 
And sometimes when you're in the midst of, like you guys were kind of evolving, but unaware of the evolution. You were you were too close to it. Totally. Samir, at the time of the album's release, uh, the initial release rather, you said something along the lines of someone asked you about the the lightness of this record compared to previous um, Kepler records. Someone asked you about the tempo shifting upwards, and you made some allusion to the idea that this was almost as a for the to the benefit of fans of the band. Do you remember this? Yeah, and 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 I think that that turned out to be not true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know, like you have like a small, honestly, like rock and roll is a great big thing where we believe in the myth of progress, you know, that, uh, well, progress in a couple of things. One is that we're always going to find new and creative ways to make rock music. And it's just, you know, that just leads to Prague by its logical conclusion. And then the other one is when you're playing in a band, I think you believe that people who liked your band are necessarily going to follow you the whole way through and they're going to really enjoy how you've changed or whatever. Um, And in our case, that just really wasn't the case. You're saying that the reception to the record was chilly? Well, I think another way I've described it is like, it was just kind of non-existent. I don't think there was much of a, like we were like just overtaken by other things, you know, hmm. at the time, like th- there might've been a time, I think when we were operating where there was, frankly, there was less competition and, and it was like the modest little sort of scrappy way we were going about doing things was easier to take notice of. But, you know, by the time that Attic Salt came out, like, you know, Funeral had come out, Broken Social Scene had put out a bunch of huge records, and, you know, no one's really interested in in kind of like, uh, yeah, like, for example, like, what was the band that Ringo Starr played in before he played the Beatles? I'm sure they were a pretty good band, but, like, it was like Roy Storm and the Something or Others? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that they were probably a pretty good band, <laughs> but it's just... They just get overtaken by events, right? Okay, so it was it was more indifference than it wasn't hostility. It was just like people moved on to other things. Yeah, and then you mentioned that at some point you mentioned that your biggest one of your biggest Ottawa shows was the final one, um, where people finally stopped taking you. So for far, so far. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, is Win listening? I tried to get us to open for Slow Dive. I was on it. I had it booked. I had it booked. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. If Slow Dive played in Montreal at Pop Montreal, then Kepler was opening. That was the deal. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. You know, yeah. as your manager, I should really be kept in the loop in these things. Not to, not to shit on you. That's a great opportunity. I you need to told push you with... that. I told you that. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I know that's hilarious. One important note here is that this record came out Jeremy, you ended up leaving Kepler before the record came out to join Arcade Fire, right? I believe so. Yeah. Just before, yeah. Technically, technically, so, I want to set the record straight. Technically? Technically, I kicked Jeremy out when he joined the Arcade Fire. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, I just... And, and technically, it was because it I, think, I, th- I think it was in the emails, I was afraid that, you know... To his credit, Jeremy at the time said, listen, I'm joining the Arcade Fire, but I want to be available when you guys are ready and when we're we're not as busy. 
And I was afraid of a tour getting disrupted because um, the Arcade Fire was booked to play Conan O'Brien or something. For forever. Right, right. And I just, you know, there was no way we were going to be able to tour. So I, I said to Jeremy, listen, I kick you out of Kepler. I wish you the best. <laughs> Give me back the keys. I would like the I would like the keys back to the jam space and your working pass. Give me back yes. Your and to all the intellectual property that you have held. I th- <laughs> I feel like the question needs to be asked uh, of Jeremy uh, after leaving Kepler for Arcade Fire. Jeremy, how much do you regret this decision? <laughs> you know, I. Don't regret the decision, obviously, but I do think about it all the time. Like, I still reference. I mean, the me mentioning slow dive thirty seconds ago. Um, I was telling Samir, like I, are I, went to see them in Barcelona mid tour just a, a few weeks ago, because um, they played the day after that we did at a festival there, and I reached out I just like emailed their manager or something I just found the email on their website and I was like I love your band I'm coming to see your band I can't wait to see your band I'm a fan and um the drummer wrote me back and was like holy cow you played in Kepler Missionless Days is one of my favorite albums of all time really wow totally and I was like this is amazing and met him there and I actually gave him one of the Attic Salt reissue vinyls and he was super stoked about it and uh and it was like, it. I think about it all the time. Like that was. It's still. Like I think. It's again. I'm not that smart. I just play drums for a living. But I. <laughs> I. I think of it's all in the same. I think of it all in the same way. Like I played in Kepler for how many years? Like, you know, five or six years, something like that. I don't know. And I, I've played in Arcade Fire for ten years now. Like. And it's all just part of this thing that I'm doing. Like, I don't think of it in terms of one, like, it's, they're just totally different things. And, and obviously no regrets. And I've moved, you know, I've just gone forward and just made crazy decisions and all this kind of stuff. But I think about it all the time. It's, it's totally some of the most important times of my life. It's great. So great. And the music we made totally holds up. Like, every time an email comes around about some Kepler thing from 10 years ago and I put the record back on, I'll listen to it the whole way through. Like I'm totally, I a hundred percent stand by all that stuff. And I, and not to diminish my role in arcade fire, but I'm, I have way more creative input into, well, like I said, you know, I was like 33 and a third percent involved in that last Kepler record Mm-hmm. that I was on certainly and and that's a lot more than any band I've ever been in since like yeah yeah um which is you know really important in in the way I think about what I do and like my relationship to music and being a creative person I'm like wow like I don't know that I was ever as creative as when I was in that band and I still think that way like it's it's just how it is for sure it's interesting to me that both of you have kind of touched upon the sentiment that you have for Kepler. I mean, that's what something like this does. And it happened kind of externally. Someone reached out of the void and said, I want to, I love this band. I want to put out a record. Um, We are in this age of reissues and reunions. What would it take? What would it take for Kepler to play again? I would do it in a heartbeat, literally, like whenever. 
It does Are you seem serious? I don't, I don't think it stopped for it didn't stop because it was like hell or anything. Like no. that's a hundred percent not why that band doesn't exist anymore at all. Like um at least for me, I'm I'm Samir, I'm guessing you would probably agree with that. Like Well, you know, it's funny. Like I I I I'm I'm Everything that you've just said, like, is like really heartwarming to me, and and you know, implicitly, I think I've I've always understood that to be the case. But it's uh, it's funny. Um, I, I'm a pretty self-critical type of person, and so part of my thing is like, you know, is is this really the case? Like, uh, like one of the things I, I I'm still a big music fan, but one of the things I wonder. And you'll talk to anybody who is in our ilk, and there are many of us who are like, you know, we put together some good records. Like, let's say if you were like, um, what's a good metaphor? Let's say like you started out in pipe fitting with a bunch of fellow pipe fitters, and then one of your pipe fitters ended up like working on like architecture for a giant building. You know, you'd like to kind of like feel that you're all part of a community of pipe fitters and and when Jeremy and I get a chance to chat, like I, I certainly feel that way that, that we're all coming from the same sort of place, no matter where our lives have sort of taken us. But to be honest, like, I don't know, like the release of that last Kepler record sort of took a lot out of me. I was forced to kind of confront a couple of things, namely the limits of like my abilities to make a living out of music, yeah, which is like, right woe is me, like, whatever, I, I ended up being okay. But you know what, if you're, like, walking around Toronto, you see, like, a lot of people who really gave it their all for music. And, and, right. and right. you know, like, it's like, if you've got that Jones for that sort of thing and you don't figure out how you're going to get out of it, like, you're kind of fucked. And you're fucked for life. Um, so I'm really right. grateful that it worked out for me that I'm not fucked for life and that I've, gone on to do other things so I can just like take care of myself and that I've also had opportunities to to play music with you know people like Jim or to do stuff with my own bands and in their own kind of very small very methodical modest non-tortured sort of ways or whatever but yeah I mean I would love to you know actually you know what rather than playing old Kepler stuff like what I'd love to do is play new music with Jeremy I miss playing with Jeremy and we kind of in a certain sense maybe on my end more so than Jeremy's, but I kind of grew up playing music with that guy. And, and so for me, I'm, I'm thinking less about the past and more about the future, you know? Right. Um, for me, like I listen to like old Kepler stuff and I'm proud of it, but I've also like, I have still yet to listen to an entire Kepler record. It's an entirety because I'm, I don't know. I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, no. And I can see, I can see your self-consciousness uh, for that. I mean, that's a weird exercise to put yourself through if you, have any misgivings or, or if it, it recalls a time that wasn't necessarily easy. It's just like, it's not even about that. It's just more about like, uh, you know, what's done. Like I have a hard time attaching myself to things that I've done. Yeah. It's the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nothing. And to a certain extent, I mean, everything is like, everything that you feel is like the present and the future. That's all where you're, energy lies and that's certainly always been the case for me okay but, but this is th i'm getting the impression that this is the first time you two have really articulated uh these kinds of feelings about your work together well i mean that's kind of the what i was saying before like in the moment we were just 
it, you're just doing it. You're just moving forward and you're working on a thing and you create a thing and you get it to a point where you're happy with it and then you move forward and, um, yeah, we probably haven't talked about it. I don't, I don't know that we ever sat and really just talked about the. I mean, the other thing that I'm really embarrassed about at the time was I gave Jeremy shit when he joined the arcade fire, knowing full well that it was like a really smart decision on his part, given what. Are was you happened. are you being but, sincere in your kind of? Is that sincere? You gave him trouble for joining arcade fire. Well, not giving him trouble, as in like I regretted his experience, but I think I and I always regret having ever written this, but it was like a very raw emotional sort of time because like we played in a band together. And, and I think what I, I think Jeremy, you might remember these words or maybe not, but it's something like, you know, this is probably a really smart decision for you, but I'm not happy for you. Right. (laughs) And you know, like not too many friendships can overcome that kind of like weird passive aggressiveness or whatever, but ours did. But I think it's partially, you know, um, we don't see each other very often. And when we do, we're always like, I mean, if there's one thing that I miss more than playing music with Jeremy, it's just that we were, we were like pretty tight friends. We used to live together. Mm-hmm. And totally. it's just, and it's just like, you know, it's like how all friendships work that, you know, were at one point more intense when you were younger. And then as you get older and life takes over, you know, they become less present in your life. And so I'm not like sad, but you know, I'm nostalgic for that aspect of things. For sure, for yeah. sure. Well, I mean, that's what that's what these records are. Like when you when people reissue records, you know, some people are who are involved in the records are thrilled about it and others find it difficult because records are just a marker of time. And in, yeah. in a lot of cases they're yeah. a marker of social interaction. And that stuff is heavy. Like good or bad, it's it's bringing you back to a feeling uh, for people that uh, you maybe haven't fully processed yet. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, we do live in this age, you know, Jerry, you started off talking about the record, uh, the sort of, I guess it's the reintroduction of the significance of the document, you know, or of, of the artist's artistic, the same way, like we, we all are, are, uh, you know, someone owns an amazing painting, uh, I forget the analogy you used, but it was really clever, and I can't do it. But basically, it's the same thing. I mean, these records are a little, particularly these vinyl records, and they they seem to be this tangible thing. That... Well, I mean, it's the same as the bands that reunite and play shows, and it's. I feel really, you know, I I think about it from time to time because our band is on tour at all these festivals, and there's always literally two or three bands that are those bands that haven't existed for 10 years are back together now and are playing shows. And I'm sort of of two minds because the era of all those bands is my era. It's like the Pixies or Slow Dive or My Bloody Valentine and all that kind of stuff. Bands that I could not be more excited to see because I never saw them when I was younger. But also I'm just like, oh, does that mean I'm not able, I'm me and everyone else who loves those bands is not able to feel anything since those bands and is that the reason that most normal radio stations still just play music that the 40 year olds who listen to them liked when they were 20 like yeah yeah. if you start to get into the cycle of the thinking about music it's just like oh that's actually our reality is it our reality like ah it makes me crazy well i can't figure it out either we we talked about patronage earlier and i can't figure out if all of this reissue reunion you know someone's financing these things for sure 
And I can't tell if it's this sense of finally I'm going to help good stuff, good artists, good music. I'm finally it's finally going to get the the treatment it always deserved. Like I can't tell if it's like I don't know. I don't want to say remuneration or something like that, but it's this weird thing where some of the best music is and some of the best artists are finally getting money that they never got. They're finally getting attention they never really got. I, I mean, know. maybe that's really optimistic, but I mean, kids now, like 13-year-olds now that you see with Nirvana t-shirts, like I feel like Nirvana is huge again with young kids yeah. who were not born yet when Nirvana were a band. Nirvana's the new Beatles, and then I'm like, oh, like you're just doomed. Like you just like the bands that you like when you're 13 <laughs> yeah. to 17. But it's not, and I don't believe that to be true. Like I actively pursue new bands, and there's certainly one. You know, it's a small percentage, but like 10% of the, or maybe 2% of the things that I see actually blow my mind and inspire me. But but. But I don't know, like, I, certainly this reissue falls into that a little bit, but I don't know if it's a positive or negative thing. I think there's, there's totally a million ways to look at it. And the reality is, is, is I think we were just in agreement that it's like, well, it might as well exist. Like, somebody's going to love it, and well, that's I, great. I had a theory that it's sort of possibly the Internet's doing. There's, I, I have this thing where I feel like fans, through their YouTube habits through their iTunes whatever I don't know whatever through their downloading of illegal whatever all of a sudden a band that or an artist who hasn't been active will be like hey why the hell do we have a hundred thousand YouTube views it's almost like people are so dissatisfied with what's happening now on some level they figured out a way to will the past back into existence because they they didn't get to experience seeing archers of low for whoever at the time but they've heard it f- about it from older people. And by the way, guys, we're old. Like, let's just admit oh, that yeah. right now. We're super yeah. old. And so I find that on some level, it's like zombie albums, zombie bands are being brought to life, back to life by younger people. And so is that healthy? Is it not? I feel, and I, and I have no stats or statistical, I have no information to back this theory up. But when you go see Pavement, you will see people like my age who loved them at the time, but you will see younger people who are kind of like, I read about this band on the internet and now they're alive again. And I find that weird. And I think that might be part of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, and you know what, there are all these rules that you have in your head about when it's acceptable and when it's not. I used to have this rule that it was like, if you're going to reunite, you might as well have the decency of writing a new record. And then, like, so often those records right. are not great, but then sometimes they're great. And then there would be sometimes, like, the Jesus Lizard reunited and, like, you know, that I didn't care that they didn't have and will never have any new records because it was very exciting to see them. I don't know. It's, like, very unique to the particular situations. And then yeah. I do think that there's a thing about, um, like, we can talk about the culture of stuff and... uh I don't know if we really know what the hell is going on. <laughs> to be I, I, honest. I, I can only attribute this to internet stuff because that's all I know, and I, that's. What I guess so, but like in the case in the case of this reissue, like I, you know, there's actually precious little um, existence of like a band like Kepler or the other band that we had at the time, Weights and Measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very little that exists online, and there's very little that's documented about 
about it. And there's very little like people swarming to like view, you know, somebody posting some of this sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's very strange. Like there's the internet and then there's like another world that exists where nostalgia can reside or whatever. And, uh, well, it's still a gathering. I mean, when these bands reunite, that's not the internet, but like when, when they go to play, when they sell out a tour that they couldn't sell out, when they were kind of wrapping yeah, things yeah. up, like that's different. That's like yeah, a... but you're talking about bigger bands than 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 any of the bands that we played in. You know, like sure. <clears throat> we were pretty. We were a little bit more scrappy. Like we did okay. We did okay for being an Ottawa band, but and maybe being a Southern Ontario band at the time. Like we were, we were pretty, pretty okay. Yeah. in that regard. But we weren't like, you know, the Archers of Loaf, and we weren't like Slint, and we weren't. Or even the Constantines who are playing again and people are freaking out about it. Like, yeah, yeah. We were not at that level. No, yeah. no, that's fair. And I mean, you weren't writing, you know, anthemic songs or you weren't. Yeah. There, I mean, some of the artists you mentioned had a bit of, well, I don't want to say you guys weren't crowd pleasers, but it's not necessarily, that, that wasn't necessarily why you made music. No. <laughs> <laughs> to win over everyone in the room. Certainly not. No. Well, just the girls, right? <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying. And, 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 that, and that really worked really well. And that was <laughs> really successful. Did you have a thing where, how many times after a Kepler show did someone end up saying, hey, that guy who works at the music store, he really liked us? We already had them in our back pocket the whole way through. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to recall. Oh, wait a minute. They they had us in their back pocket because I wouldn't have been in a band. I wouldn't have been in Kepler if it wasn't for the record store guy showing me Tortoise five years before. (laughs) Right there, you go. So what what do you both make of the Attic Salt reissue? uh, The actual packaging, uh, the whole thing. I'm into it. I I haven't seen it, Samir. You were supposed to give me a copy of this thing. Oh, am I? Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I could have used it before we chatted, but I, I understand there's a photo book or something. It's a little over the top, but it's you know the art, the actual artwork, the images you see with your eyes are pretty true to original. <laughs> They're just sort of they've been repurposed in a little over the top kind of. I don't know. I love records that are like vinyl, sleeve, jacket maybe booklet or sheet one sheet there you go and this one's got a little bit of the art art project thing what's going on what's in it i don't even know it's like a photo book and yeah i mean and (laughs) this is for you know i was struggling to find photos of us back in the day and there were photographs taken but no one has them they're like existing in negatives and like somebody's photograph collection or something and it's very hard to dig through to find them so you just have to, I you know the original artwork was done by a really talented visual artist named Molly Kalkstein who who, you know, did beautiful piece of work, and so what we have with the vinyl reissue it's it's really nice, but there's a, a beautiful piece of work and then there's like a layer of design that's been put on top of it I guess is the way I described it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. And okay. it's not bad, it's not gross or disgusting. It's just you know that original piece of artwork is is really beautiful. Um, and the, the design is totally fine. And, and to me, those albums are always funny because they're the ones that I, it makes me, cause I'm still an avid vinyl buyer and I have been the whole time. 
and it makes the record one of those friggin' records that doesn't sit right in the in the right. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like thick and sticks out, and it's like ugh. <laughs> Don't you kind of? But want... that is a very stupid thing to that's, complain about. That's that's what kind of what you want. You want it to kind of stick out a little bit, don't no, you? No, 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 no. Because then you put it on the shelf with like the Radiohead double ten inch that you never listen to, and the Radiohead <laughs> record that's in a newspaper that you won't open, uh, and like all that kind of crap. I'm just like, no, I don't want it to be on the extra shelf. I just want it to be in K. You're right. <laughs> it's true. I don't often even the Slint box set. Like it's up on a shelf. Now. Oh my god! Exactly. Like when's the last time you listened to? Uh, uh, what's that June of forty four record? That's I like, have that. I was just thinking about that. I have that record. It's totally. Of, and it was like we. Both and it's an amazing had, record. It's an it's amazing a, record. A great and record. You never. Yeah. Yeah. It, it comes in this. Bo- it came in this box that was hand delivered by members of the band <laughs> around Chicago, and somehow they made it. They made their way to Ottawa, and they're like a handmade wooden box right. with like the emblazoned Jude of 44 like logo on it. It's like kind of a nice thing, but it's also somewhat ridiculous. But, Once well, again, three mile pilot. Like I love that those three mile pilot records, but I can't find the triangle vinyl that has the picture disc triangle <laughs> 11 inch thing that has no booklet. That's just like stuck between two records somewhere in my 500 records or whatever. I'm just like, Oh, just, <laughs> T, like put it in. <laughs> All right, anyway. oh geez, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Well, it sounds they did do a beautiful job though. Like the vinyl is great, and it sounds great, and and all that stuff. The important stuff is is great. Like, and they didn't try to do something weird about it. Like they did a really good job. And yeah. there were no outtakes, right? You know, actually, there were a couple of outtakes. Um, so. <laughs> The problem is, like, me and Jeremy are just such <laughs> bad documenters of our histories that uh, we couldn't literally find. There was, like, one track in particular that was kind of, like, very unlike Kepler. Um, and What was it, it? I can't remember what it was, honestly. I, I, I should send it to you because the guy, Matthias, the guy who put it out from Oscarson, he ended up tracking it down on MP3 format somehow. He's like, what? Samir, what do you make of this? And I was just like, yes, this is the song. <laughs> What song is it? I don't even know if we had a title for it. Um, How did it end up circulating on the internet so that a guy from Germany could find it? It's serious. The serious Googling abilities of Germans can I never be underestimated. Huh. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. It's but anyways, there's a, there's a second one that did make it. Yes. Oh, there are some outtakes on the... Uh, there's Brian. one outtake that was initially on a compilation... Um, that was put out sort of shortly thereafter, but we just we just added it on. What's the song? Uh, it's a song called "Untrue," which, all things considered, I wish we put on the record. I love that song. Would have been yeah, good. good oh, yeah. okay. All right. Mm-hmm. All know right. what we're thinking. But, but you're overall, you're happy with the thing, and 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 pleased that someone from Germany has decided to put it out. Yeah, you can't argue with Germans. That's my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> it got it got so racist at the end of the episode of the show here. And Sorry, I, I should have said you can't argue with the wisdom of Germans. You know what's funny is I almost oppositely said I love the Germans, <laughs> which is an example of nice racism. That's that's what? The, yeah, that's nice racism. Oh, you are on the internet too much. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. What's uh, next for both of you? 
Well, I mean, I think Jeremy will probably have more interesting answers. I'll give you like a pretty <laughs> wicked roundabout about what the next couple of days are going to be. <laughs> I, I am going to sleep and then my current band is playing at Hyde Park in London tomorrow. And then I have a three-week window of non-band activity. Your which band, I wouldn't... The, the Rolling Stones have been touring a lot. They have. We we uh, half of my band went to see them in uh, in Paris the other day. No. No, that's not true. They were in Italy somewhere. The and stu- yeah, that's there's right. some debate as to whether or not Keith Richards is actually playing guitar. There's some debate. Yeah, this this is going all over the internet. People don't think he's actually playing. There's someone like there's like a Wizard of Oz guy playing the guitar. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been going. He is really broken. It's kind of sad. He's like wincing in pain. Yeah. His hands. His hands are done. Yeah, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be out there. Frankly, should be taking so much insulin before too. I mean, let that be a lesson to you guys. Don't. Do the whole like insulin, so you shrink down to being like bony and muscular. Scene. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, there's something going on with the. Uh, and you guys, did you hear about Malcolm Young? Also has uh, from ACDC has issues, and he can't play now. Well, that's why they're not. But they're see that ACDC. Truth be told, best maybe the best show I've ever seen in my entire life. Having seen Depeche Mode only days before it, where it was just everything's like on a computer. And then, except for the vocals, of course, and some guitar lines. And then you go to see ACDC and are in for the show, which was sold out at 50,000 people inside. It's the biggest show I've ever seen in my life indoors. And we go in, we hang out with the sound guy, and he mixes the show on like a 1980s Neve desk. Nice. Analog. No, it's just drums for like six tracks or whatever, six channels. Bass, guitar, guitar. Vocal, 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 everything up. That's it. Nice. The whole show. <laughs> They're the most pure, real rock and roll band of all time. And it was honestly one of the most beautiful bands I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, they're one of my they're they're pretty much my favorite band in some it was ways. So amazing. So when Malcolm can't play guitar, they will not go on tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is sad, but you know, it's I'm comforted by that. So Arcade Fire are going to take a you're taking at least a 3 week break and then there's more or what? Uh and then we have a North American tour all through August. Oh right. We'll be, the con- yeah, we'll be in Toronto again on uh the 29th, I think. Yeah, August 29th, 29th and the Constantines are playing. Yeah, it's going to rule. That's great. That's great. Unless okay. it rains and then it's going to be the worst for every <laughs> single person there. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, can I get guest lists on that show? Yes, you're in. Okay, sweet. Um, I mean, sorry to take care of that business, guys. Let's can, let's think about it. We'll think about what it. What about can I? Can I want to go to? I, so we can talk about this. What later. are you doing this week? Me? Well, I, you only made me answer. And it's oh, not Samir, fair. sorry, Samir, Samir. What are you doing? What? Yeah, what's next for you? Well, I'm. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna have some dinner after this conversation. Yeah, sorry, this went late. No, 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 it's good. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna go back to my job. <laughs> and maybe I'll go to the beach this weekend. I could have said the same thing. Yes, you could have. It's just not uh, fair. You guys set me up. I no, could have no. just literally said, like, I'm going to go to sleep, and then I'm going to wake up, and I have to go to work from 1 until 11. Yeah. That's true. It's That's true. true. So, Samir, are, are there musical 
activities in your future? Are you do you have any? I mean, you've been playing with the Jim Guthrie band, which I don't know if that's an active thing. Uh, what what's going on? Are you playing any music? Writing any music? Uh, I'm chipping away at some stuff, and there's some people around Toronto that I think we're going to get together and see what happens. I mean, part of it is also I've been mucking around at home and just trying to do do a little home rock record and. Who knows how long that will take me to finish, uh, but I do plan on finishing something. Okay, great. That's great to hear. I, I was con- I love it. I was concerned that you would become dis- completely disheartened, but I feel like probably the response to this Kepler record, I bet that's been a nice boost for you. You know, it's funny. I've actually never stopped. <laughs> I've always been like chipping away at stuff with varying degrees of intensity. So... You know, like I had a band after the arcade, not after the arcade, after uh, Kepler, and you know, I was I I did stuff with that and Tusks, I, the band Tusks, the band Tusks, a great know? band, great great band. Um, and you know, I, I I just love doing it, and I just you know, it's just a matter of finding, it's just a matter of finding time to do it. I don't, I'm not tortured about that aspect of things at all. I just I like doing it. Okay, good. And and we've all discovered that there's likely going to be some kind of Kepler reunion. Very curious about this. So slow dive, <laughs> slow dive, slow dive said no, right? Basically, slow dive could not play the Montreal date that was offered to them, and therefore the whole thing was dead in the water. It's going to be a big show. Whenever Kepler play again, I know it's going to be a good, solid show. So I wish, I, yeah, like slow dive. You know, they want to book. They want to get you know, like what a thousand people. And I think Kepler's good for like eight hundred tickets, maybe something like that. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. I mean, I'm just pure economics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but seriously, Beach, just in your estimation, like, yeah, how many how many people would actually go and see a Kepler reunion show? Like what venue would Kepler play in Toronto? Yeah, and, we were playing and when I say month. when I say like go see a Kepler show, I mean not like go see a Kepler show because they know Samir and Jeremy, but go see a Kepler show because they would like to see Kepler play live again. Be honest. I'm trying to think of it. I mean, I I can't really. I mean, you live in Toronto. You know what it's like seeing shows there. If you ask me what it would be like in Guelph, I could it say would be zero. <laughs> no, I could say that it would it would it wouldn't be. Yeah, I would probably still have to, if I was putting on the show, there'd have to be a local opener with draw. But that's what I do for almost everything. <laughs> you know, this you know the- what's funny, though, is, but couldn't we get a pretty good evening slot at Hillside? Yeah, you could. Yeah, absolutely. In it's fact, so odd, right? You totally could. I mean, and uh, all these days, it just takes a little nudge from me and... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of helping with that stuff, so yeah. And uh, Diggy Do, <laughs> you know you know who's playing? The Super Friends are playing. Jeremy, you mentioned them before. They're one of the greatest bands. They are yeah. one of my, the greatest bands ever, and they're playing. Uh, that's it. They're just coming to play Hillside, and then they're going back. So well, that's how slow. That's how the slow dive thing happened. Is the the this Spanish festival was just like, hey, we have tons of money. Slow dive should get back together, and they were like. Cool, we'll do it. And now they're gonna, you know, make a record and keep touring and stuff like that. You know, your thing, the things like Coachella, they get the big bands to play, right? And your band would be a nice feather in Hillside's cap. That size We've of festival. We played Hillside before. I thought we. Had, I thought there was a. I thought you couldn't play Hillside after you played it once. Yeah, I think there's a 15 year like exemption though. I don't know when the last time you played there was. 
You know, I think that we might play it if Richard and Sarah didn't have such a hard time playing the workshops when Bellarkes played. Oh, did they have a, a rough time last time? Doesn't everyone have a rough time playing those things? They they got to play in a workshop. It was like Colin, Sarah, Richard, Lee Ronaldo. Did Mike Kirstak play that as well? No, no. And it was this is the most recent one when Richie played by himself, and uh, his uh, folk thing. Yeah, and Sarah played a set, and Colin Stetson played a set. Their last workshop was amazing. It was all of them with Lee Ronaldo and his band. Speaking that of was, speaking of was, Sonic Youth, that was actually pretty cool. Oh, were you there for that? A little bit of it, yeah. I mean, I was sort of wandering around, uh, yeah, and was... I just stumbled upon that stuff as it was happening. That was last. Yeah, okay, I was just joking. I don't. I don't <laughs> even know. I wasn't there. My point is, a smaller festival would view a reunited, you know, like a Kepler reunion show, the same way like everyone's like, holy shit, Outcast is playing Coachella. There, which would... wasn't very good, by the way. Well, that's what I. Oh, you saw it, didn't you? It wasn't that good. That's surprising. But I've, I would argue here now that Kepler reuniting at Hillside would be better than Outcast reuniting at Coachella. I'm just saying you've got a year. You've got a year to make this happen, gentlemen. I can facilitate on my end of things to say we would be interested in having that happen in Guelph. So just get on it. You guys have to have a conversation after we're done. I, well, I we 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 sure do, don't we? I mean. It's very rare for me to end a podcast by challenging my guests. It's not uh, a challenge. We graciously await your offer. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm not going to offer anything until I know what's happening. What? You think Coachella? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need Listen, to- you're, talking, it, you're, talking, you're talking to the Rolling Stones here. No, I'm yeah. talking- oh, dude, I don't do anything for... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing you get into. What's the Kepler money going to be like? I think it'll be yeah. good. I think you guys should play together again. And uh, I want to let people know, once again, Kepler's excellent album, At Exalt, has just been reissued on vinyl via Oscarsson in Germany, and you can learn more about it at oscarsson.bandcamp.com. That's the website, right? That is the website. That's their website. Yep. Uh, is there a song from Attic Salt that we can uh, go out on here, guys? Whoa. Yeah, now. I like that you know, there's two of you for this. This is going to be interesting. Well, I don't know. You can, you can dispute this one, but I thought the song that turned out the best on that record was uh, The Bedside Manor. Great song. You okay with that? Yeah, it's a great song. Okay. I love that song. I am not lying. I listen to that record like probably more often than I should. It's kind of weird. It's like wearing your own band t-shirt. I'm like, man, that's a good record. I do think it's weird that you're wearing a Kepler shirt right now, but that's that's cool. I, I mean, and Samir is wearing an Ottawa Millionaire shirt. That's true, yeah. Which is the hockey team? Uh, I believe so. Hockey team slash novelty uh, musical review. Oh, it's also a band. I don't know if you heard about this at the Exclaim thing, but that's that's a separate conversation. Oh, okay. I know I have seen them. I've seen them do stuff before. The Ottawa, They're, the Ottawa, they used to be the Ottawa Songbird Millionaires. Yeah, so I'll bring it back to the full circle. Uh, Dave Drapes, who was our long-standing pal and producer on all of our records when we lived in Ottawa, he produced like all of the Kepler records. He was a musical director of a uh, a review show that the Ottawa hockey team puts on for the Exclaim Cup, which was uh, all revolved around the theme of magic. Well, it wasn't always. They, there was a different theme every year. 
No, this year was magical. Oh, this year was magical. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> and did they win or something? Like there used to be a contest for the best band. They they won it this year. Yeah. Good for them. I like yeah. Ottawa. I like you guys. This is a song by Kepler called The Bedside Manor. Go pick up Attic Salt. Where can they pick it up? Oh, yeah, the band camp. I already said it, right? I believe so. Unless yeah. unless you're in slow dive, in which case Jeremy will hand deliver one to you. <laughs> Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. 
And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.